naturally swinging your thing to the saw Cause that's how we pump the dead floor for the straw Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. I am at a loss for words this week in my opening as I, like many Canadians, are watching in horror as events unfold in Ottawa and across the country. So I'm going to jump right into sharing today's guests because, as usual, the people who join me here week after week offer up their time and amazing energy so we are all the better for it. This week, my first guest is Dr. Prachi Srivastava, who will be joining me monthly until June to discuss the state of education in Ontario. Prachi will be sharing facts and data on everything from financing to school governance and how it impacts the education our kids receive. In June, we'll take a look at each political party's education platform and how it will move the needle or not. Today, we talk about equity issues in the public system and three ways we can improve education for everyone. These lessons, by the way, are not just for Ontario and can be applied across the country. Anne Brody joins us twice this week. First, Anne is back with her weekly roundup of new movies and shows, which includes Parallel Mothers with Penelope Cruz, Johnny Depp in Minamata, and Liam Neeson doing what Liam Neeson does best, kicking butt and taking names in Blacklight. Devon Gerard is one of the incredible women behind the curtain at Northumberland CFTC, helping to pull together Strike Up 2022, a virtual conference connecting women entrepreneurs across Canada to one another. Devon joins me to share what we can expect from this conference that blew everyone away last year with its incredible lineup and topics. Jane Raciolelli is an elementary school teacher who specializes in health and physical education. She is also the author of The Great I Am for Kids that provides daily affirmations for kids designed to affirm, inspire, and honor their true greatness. Jane joins me to share the why behind her book and how it's helping kids everywhere embrace their inner greatness from A to Z. Finally, it's a rarity to have a gentleman join me on what she said, but I will always make an exception for someone like Colin Mokri, a true Canadian icon. Colin has been making Canadians laugh for decades now and joins Anne Brody to discuss his newest venture on Amazon Prime called The Last One Laughing. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Education is a hot-button issue around the globe during this pandemic, but Ontario in particular has suffered the longest school closures in Canada and amongst the highest in North America and Europe comparing regional averages until June of 2022. With the provincial election a little over four months away, I thought it would be a good time to shine a spotlight on where we need to go to ensure our kids receive the best education possible going forward and that we leave no one behind. Dr. Prachi Servastava is tenured associate professor at Western University, specializing in education and global development, and visiting professor at McGill University. 
Over the next few months, Prachi will be joining us to discuss equity, financing, purpose, and school governance with a final look in June at election platforms. Today, we're jumping into some of the glaring equity issues COVID has caused. Welcome to the show, Prachi. Hi, Candice. I'm so thrilled to be able to do the series with you. I think it's so important. I mean, I am... I, yeah, I, I'm so invested in education. I think it's literally how we create better societies that I really want I want to put a focus on these on these topics. So let's jump into um, equity issues and and what your you have a report that you could share some details with us. Yeah, so we actually wanted to look at the issue of uh, stu- uh, of infections, COVID infections in schools. Um, and understand what the equity implications of that were, and even to understand if the socioeconomic factors um, of schools and also of school populations had any effect on uh, whether or not there were more or less infections in in schools, um, comparing them. Now, of course, uh, what we found was maybe a little unsurprising, but it but what we did was we looked at all of the student infections in 2020-21 across Ontario across elementary schools. And we only focused on elementary schools because the pedagogical strategy when schools were in, 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 in a face-to-face was quite different in elementary schools than secondary schools during the pandemic, uh, where we had full-day face-to-face uh, instruction. And what we found was um, that schools that had populations where there were uh, more um, lower-income families tended to have higher instances of uh, student infections. That was one finding. The other finding was that as a group, schools in marginalized areas had more instances of of student infections than schools in other areas. Now, that was actually a much stronger finding. It mattered much, much more the area composition of of schools, what that area was like than the individual school itself. So schools that were in areas that had higher concentrations of ethnic minorities, that had more material deprivation, that had more residential instability, those um, areas, schools in those areas had more uh, instances of COVID uh, infections among students. What does that really mean? What are the implications of that? Well, you know, the implications of that are um, on, on, on on a very administrative level, the, impl- the first implication is that most likely those schools and those students would have suffered greater disruption, right? Because, and you would be disruption at three levels. At the individual level, because you would have had more individual students that were infected. So those students would have been ex- more likely excluded, well, would have had to isolate. And so they would have been kept at home for longer amounts of time. And then classrooms, within those uh, communities, more likely would have had to be excluded. So you would have had a classroom level um, exclusion, which would have been likely higher than other um, schools in other areas. And the third bit is on school closures. It's likely that schools would have been closed or more schools would have been closed for longer amounts of times in those areas. I think one of your questions might be to be, why am I saying likely all the time? And why aren't I being more, more I would say, um, strong about saying that that is what happened? The reason is we don't have data. We don't have data on school closures. We don't have data on individual exclusion. And that is a fundamental, I would say, breach of information 
um, we've we've asked for that. We've asked for the school closure data, and and actually, the it's likely that we will receive it, but it's not publicly available. So you know, you can't go on on the website. You couldn't even when these data were available. You couldn't get those data on school closures. The other story is that I think most of your listeners would know here in Ontario that the government, as of January of 2022, has stopped taking um, any uh, data on, on, on school infections. Um, I did a very quick review with my team of all the school boards in Ontario in terms of looking to see if individual school boards were posting those data themselves. And only four school boards have some uh, visibility in terms of those um, number in terms of those numbers. So we actually don't know uh, what the impact is going to be of this year and what the cumulative impact is going to be of last year and this year in terms of infections and what that might mean for, for disruption. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Dr. Prachi Srivastava uh, speaking about equity issues in education. And uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about maybe some solutions uh, that the uh, we can implement. We'll be right back. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Okay, we're back with Dr. Prachi Srivastava. We're speaking about equity issues in the education system in Ontario right now. Uh, I imagine most of this actually applies to most of the country. Uh, so, Prachi, what are some of the ways we can address these issues uh, so that we can fix them going forward? So, the first thing that we have to recognize is that this disruption is the longest we've had um, and the longest continuous disruption we've had. We're back in a relative situation of volatility, which is complicated by lack of data. What that means is we cannot resume business as usual. We cannot assume that when September of 22 comes around, we just uh, put those students back in the years that they were meant to be if there had been no disruption. A child that started, uh, when the pandemic started in March of 2020, if that child was in grade two, in September of 2022, that child is now going to be in grade five. So that is a significant amount of time to have one's formal education interrupted. And alongside formal education, we're also talking about all of the socialization activities, the extracurriculars, the sports activities that build other skills. So when we take that as a serious issue and as an issue that needs to be resolved, there are three things we have to do. And this is coming out of emergency education literature. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's now a, a substantive field of about 20 years of literature and practice. I started my career in that area. And there are three things we must do. The first is to look at the curriculum all the way from JK up until grade 12. We have what is called a continuous progressive system. What that means is every grade is connected to the one next uh, to the one after and connected to the one before. So if you've had a disruption in a particular year, you will also carry that disruption through with you throughout the cycle. So you look at the whole system and you say, OK, 
what parts of the curriculum, for example, in grade two, in, in the regular grade two curriculum need to be lengthened? What parts of that curriculum need to be moved into grade three? And what parts of the grade one curriculum need to be brought into grade two? I take grade two as an example, but you would do that throughout the, throughout the, the system. And perhaps we would think about looking to see if it's a good idea to restructure the school year, um, to think about alternative calendars. Should we have extended breaks in the summer or should we take advantage of the summer and, you know, have a different kind of a school year where we still would have breaks, but perhaps there are shorter breaks um, throughout the year rather than this one long break. You might want to look at the length of the day. There is a study that came out to say that um, if you increase the length of the day by even an hour or two, it actually results in significant gains in terms of learning. So, you know, that's something that we might want to consider. Those are all the big planning questions, but it really needs to be done at a systems level. The second thing that we need to do is to infuse and really bolster core skills for every grade throughout the, 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 the system, elementary and secondary. Core skills usually refer to basic literacy and numeracy skills. I would add critical thinking skills and really to really boost them. This would be intensive uh, measures to see, okay, which parts of literacy and numeracy do we really need to intensify? And again, there are studies to show that there are good reading, mathematics, uh, critical thinking programs that we can institute and that it would show some gains. Alongside that, we need to infuse psychosocial skills and development programming for all children across the board. This is very important. It's a standard measure that is usually implemented in emergency education contexts um, because we know that there have been mental health effects. We know that socialization has suffered, social skills have suffered, and coping mechanisms have su suffered amongst children and youth. So that needs to be done alongside uh, the, the, the formal uh, curriculum throughout the entire um, system. Then the third thing we need to do is to institute targeted measures for those schools in those marginalized communities. Now we have the data through this paper that we've just written to show that it's not just an assumption, it is fact. That, the, that, marginalized, that schools in marginalized communities have been adversely affected. So we need to prioritize those schools as a group in those communities for targeted interventions, more resources, um, and also individual populations within schools, individual students within schools who have experienced new vulnerabilities. The kinds of things we'd be looking for are things like uh, re reinforced private tutor, uh, not private, but small group tutoring. Uh, that's been shown to actually have quite a significant gain. If you could have small group tutoring, peer-to-peer uh, -peer interaction, um, and also to have extra resources, make sure that the IEP systems are up and running, and make sure that all the services that were interrupted, the therapeutic diagnostic services in those schools are actually infused again. As usual, Prachi, you are a wealth of information. We couldn't possibly get everything you have in your brain out in this uh, two short segments we have for you. Uh, but you are going to be back next month. We'll talk about financing. Um, and thank you so much for sharing uh, with listeners today. I think this is vital information for all of us to have as we move forward. Thank you, Candice. I look forward to it.
Brody is joining me with entertainment, and we are all tired and in need of a little escapism. So, Anne, I hope you've got some good entertainment for us this week. I do, but I also have some issue films. <laughs> but oh one... gosh, we don't need any more issues. <laughs> I know, I know, I I know. It's been a very rough week in Canada. Couple of weeks. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you let, let's start with Penelope Cruz. Oh my word, she's so talented. I, I'm pretty sure she's going to get an Oscar nomination, and she's uh, won all kinds of awards already for Parallel Mothers for Pedro Almodovar, her long-term, decades-long uh, director friend. So it's a very complex character study about a woman who is pregnant, and she's not sure who the father is, whether it's her lover or her boyfriend. Um, and she's in hospital to give birth, and she meets a teenager who's also pregnant who has no desire to be a mother. So now this is happening against the background of uh, Cruz's character um, as part of the recovery of historical memory in her town in Spain where there were mass murders under Franco and the bodies were put in an open pit and covered. So she's working with a forensic um, archaeologist who becomes her lover to dig the bones up. There is so much at play here. It's really a complex emotional story. And I mean, it's not going to make you laugh, but it's, it's, it's a powerful think piece. Very, very, you know, it, it, it reflects on human nature, the best and the worst of it. And she is a saint. She she's, is very saint-like. So, you know, there's that to look forward to. Okay. Uh, not the uplifting <laughs> I was looking for. <laughs> and I don't, think, I don't think your next film either is very uplifting uh, with Johnny Depp. No, it's not. <laughs> no. What? But this, I mentioned this on my Twitter and I have, I've had 5,000 impressions like within a couple of days. So people are excited that Johnny Depp is starring as photojournalist Eugene Smith, who worked for Life magazine. So he, somebody slipped him some photographs in New York of this chemical spill in Japan at Minimata uh, from the Chizo Chemical Company. So this water had been coming out, this contaminated water just filled with mercury for uh, 30 years. And of course, the local people eat fish. That's their main diet. And in some cases, their only diet. So they were coming up with these dreadful deformities. And, you know, the villagers cared for these people. They had to hold them and feed them. They had no uh, mobility or seeming thought process. It was just the most spectacular depiction of love. Anyway, so this photographer goes over to Japan and starts to take pictures of it and send it out to the world through Life magazine, and it becomes viral, I mean, for the 70s. And um, so the, the Chizo Chemical Company is taken to court. They lose, and they have yet to resolve it, and that was 51 years ago. Johnny Depp is totally transformed as Smith. You won't believe he's, he's heavy, he's white-haired, he's, he's, you know, tired of living because of the PSD he's had covering wars. But this gives you hope because it shows that people can do something to get their, their stories told. I just wish it worked better in Japan. All right, let's shift over to Liam Neeson, who is just typecast as that guy, it seems, for the rest of his life. You got it. 
You got, and he's 70 for heaven's Is he sake. 70? He looks and fantastic. And he's still out there kicking butt. Yeah. Doesn't he though? And he's got such a wonderful profile. He's like John Barrymore. Um, but so anyway, he plays a guy who is secretly employed by the head of the FBI, played by Aiden Quinn, who we haven't seen in ages. Um, and his job is to go out to uh, extract deep cover agents who are in trouble and in danger of being outed at where they are. So, you know, he has to use his fighting skills and his weaponry and all of that. Um, now, there's uh, a political candidate, a Latina progressive political candidate, giving a, a speech at a rally, and they love her. Well, when she gets home that night, she's run over. So a journalist starts to um, investigate a woman and gets a hold of an ex-FBI agent who's, who tells her that the FBI is killing people who it finds inconvenient. So there's this huge conspiracy, deadly conspiracy cover-up. And of course, Liam saves the day. I didn't so. see that coming. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> all right. Well, that might be the escape, escapism we were all looking for. And you have you have yeah. these three and a lot more over on whatshesaidtalk.com. And you have an interview coming up later in the show with... Colin Mochran. He'll make you laugh. Well, we need that. We need that. All right. And thanks so much. We'll see you next week. See you next week, Candice. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. StrikeUp was co-founded last March with a goal of connecting women entrepreneurs across Ontario to one another. Its momentum, however, quickly grew and over 3,000 women from every province and territory joined together to connect to one another and learn from Canada's leading female entrepreneurs. And it's back, baby, with more incredible speakers and industry leaders to keep the momentum going in 2022. Devon Gerard is one of the incredible women behind the curtain at Northumberland CFTC, helping to pull this event together, and joins me now to share what we can expect this year. Welcome to the show, Devon. Thanks for having me, Candice. So were you surprised by the success of Strike Up last year? Blown away. So we had a goal last year of putting together a conference for Ontario, basically, to ensure women entrepreneurs knew about the women entrepreneurship strategy and we could elevate the role of our ecosystem partners. Um, this conference quickly grew in scale. We had excitement from right across Canada. We engaged with partners from right across Canada. And all of a sudden, this little conference we had planned um, reached 28 different countries. We had entrepreneur, entrepreneurial women from every province and every territory at Strike Up and over 3,000 attended. So we knew we were on to something and wanted to try and, you know, capture that excitement and growth and hopefully repeat it for this year. 
Yeah, I think the need for something like this um, was proven last year when you pulled this together and so many women responded from around the world. So tell me what you have in store this year. Well, we have incredible speakers. So there was a couple of things that we learned last year um, from our conference that we've applied to our guests this year and to our programming. So um, women last year told us they wanted to learn more about how and why um, leading women entrepreneurs across Canada were making key strategic decisions that really shaped the impact of their business and the trajectory of their business. So there was a lot of conversations and women gravitating to how and why people are making, you know, investments, um, for example, um, you know, expanding if they're looking at acquiring, when's that right decision to grow and scale or export. Um, so this year, we've structured the program around that. It's really about decision points for growth. And we've brought in some high profile speakers that many of your listeners uh, will know that women entrepreneurs right across Canada can learn from. So Joanna Griffiths, the founder and CEO of NYX. So many women are wearing her products right now, I'm sure. Um, but also recall her stories of growth, how she went from, you know, D to C, um, uh, her D to C business to opening up storefronts to now she's expanded, of course, uh, well into the U.S., um, but also how she raised capital. It was what, over $70 million dollars well pregnant with her twins and, you know, gave birth to her twins the next week. So um, from a women's entrepreneurial perspective, a lot of women I know are keen to hear from her and hear her phrase. Um, similarly, Jennifer Harper of Cheekbone Beauty, many recall her and her success, as we know, on Dragon's Den. Um, what an incredible Indigenous entrepreneur she has and a role model to all of us. Again, how she's grown and expanded from D to C to now having her makeup line in Sephora. So um, some notable highlights there, of course. We're bringing back Amber Mack um, to talk all things technology innovation. One thing we've all learned, of course, over the past two years is the importance of keeping up with that pace in expanding our businesses and in that digital world. So Amber's there to share some tips as well. Um, we've got Susie York from Love Good Fats. Um, she's focusing a lot on her decision uh, about how to grow and scale. So some key thought processes and um, decision process that she went through when she decided to grow into the U.S. and really how that helped shape um, Love Good Fats, et cetera. So over 25 speakers, I won't um, I won't name them all, but safe to say that um entrepreneurs attending this conference um, will come away with some key strategic decisions and, and how to help approach those. It's interesting because, you know, entrepreneurs used to be sort of the outliers in society, but I read a stat just this week that in 2021, 60% of Canadians started a side hustle. Uh, that's astounding. And that proves that People are looking for that autonomy in their lives to not report to somebody else and create their own uh, vision of how they want to live their life. So no wonder you've received such an epic response to this conference. Um, is there a cost to participate? No, the conference is free. So we have partnered this year with corporate partners, um, Scotiabank, the Women Initiative and Export Development Canada in particular as our two um, co-presenting partners. So with their support and the support of all of our partners, um, we're proud to bring the conference to women entrepreneurs for free. 
Um, the goal, you know, as you were talking about, of course, we've seen this explosion in women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, and um, it's really about allowing those women to connect with one another. So we're excited this year that we've been able to add a, a one-to-one networking function as well. So not only will women be able to chat with one another in the chat, they'll also be able to have um, similar video conversations with one another throughout the conference. So um, really finding those mentors, finding, you know, how women were making some of the decisions they made and sharing those lessons. And then, of course, leaning on all of these, you know, sponsors, really, and our partners who have these programs for women entrepreneurs that many women don't yet know about. We're trying to bring it all together in one place and make it simple for women to come in, drop in and connect with um lots of other women and learn about these resources available to them. Um, We also know that women are busy. Um, For a lot of women, some uh, investments in their business is still a side hustle. So anyone who registers for the conference is able to watch it until next December as well. So as long as you register, you can sign up, you can get connected into this ecosystem that we have of support and attend for as much as you can on that day, but also know you'll be able to have that library of knowledge to refer back to as well. Okay. And the other thing that I found really interesting is that you pulled in some Indigenous programming this year. What was the motivation behind that? Indigenous entrepreneurship is is growing right across Canada. Um, it's one of our fastest growing segments of entrepreneurs um, that we have. And they also have incredible stories to share with us. Um, Jen Harper talks a lot about this as well in some of the different obstacles and barriers she's had to face and what motivation for all of us to sort of know um, these stories and how Indigenous women in particular have been able to grow and expand their business. We couldn't be more pleased with the diversity of um, our speakers this year. It's a really exciting lineup and um we're more than thrilled to to bring these Indigenous women um, directly to the homes right across Canada as well. All right. So if people want to register and get involved, how can they do that? Very simple. Um, all you have to do is log on to strikeup.ca and um, click the registration button. It is all free. Um, it is also accessible. So we're trying to make this conference as accessible to as many women as possible. Um, So it will have the um, French translations below the entire conference, and it will also have a sign interpreter. So along with ensuring that our programming stays free, we do want to ensure that this programming, these, um, you know, women leaders are able to reach the homes and as many women right across Canada as we can. And I'm curious, outside of the conference, uh, will the StrikeUp website, will it continue to update information throughout the year until next year's event? It will. Yeah. So we have, we don't want to overwhelm people with information. Um, We do have a monthly newsletter that will be going out and we're also launching um, a a program called Strike Up Connects and it's designed to be smaller events with smaller groups, um, but similarly to host in a digital format to allow these conversations to continue, to allow these connections to continue. Last year we had over 7,000 Um, referrals back into the ecosystem. So these were women who wanted to learn more about different programs and services that are available. So we know there's a need out there in Canada for women to feel connected to one another, to learn about these resources. And um, we're happy to be that collaborating partner to bring together 
um, our sponsors, our partners in our ecosystem to ensure that women know what's available to them and are able to connect in the most efficient way. All right. One more time then, where can people go and uh, where can they follow along on social? If you can share all of that with everybody listening and we will put it in the liner notes for the show when it gets uploaded to podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Candice. It's strikeup.ca. So if you're able to log on to that website, you can do a quick registration there. Um, same as all of our social channels. We're, of course, active on Twitter, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook, and Strike Up Canada. And we can't wait to welcome your listeners once again to, to this year's program. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to this year's event. Thank you. Jane Rossiolelli is an elementary school teacher who specializes in health and physical education. She is also the author of The Great I Am for Kids that provides daily affirmations for kids designed to affirm, inspire, and honor their true greatness. Jane joins me now to share the why behind her book and how it's helping kids everywhere embrace their inner greatness from A to Z. Welcome to the show, Jane. Hi, Candice. Thanks for having me. I absolutely love the idea behind this book. I think our little warriors need this boost now more than ever. What was the inspiration or was there like a moment that you went, aha, I have to write this book? Absolutely. I've always wanted to write a children's book. This is a lifelong dream. But five years ago, one of my students was not having the greatest self-esteem. And as a health and phys ed teacher, my job is to build these kids up. And I came up with this a basic, basic idea, and it just grew from there. So tell me about some of the affirmations that are in the book. So these affirmations are from A to Z. So I am amazing. I am incredible. I am magnificent. These are general affirmations that would suit anyone at any age, and they're great for us all. So how do you recommend parents um, engage with their children with this book? Should they read it at night? Is it something they open up every day? Uh, how do you envision it uh, working in, in, in families' homes? I think that this book should be read Every evening before bed, it should be the last thing that these kids go to sleep is believing in their absolute greatness, affirming who they are. Um, there are affirmations. They're just a guide from A to Z. And then at the back, there is a section for students to actually personalize the entire alphabet. So this is something they can do and use my models or create their own. I actually did this lesson with my students this week um, in all of my classes, and I was awestruck with the adjectives that they came up with. And I can only wait to see how each child can build this book exactly for themselves, and they can carry it with them for a lifetime. 
Now, I have to tell you, I follow you on social media, and I have been watching your posts. This, being a teacher, to me, seems like this has been your calling. You are a natural for this. Tell me about the response you're getting from the kids who are reading your book. I can't even begin to um, describe. A little boy came up to me yesterday, and he had his brown Amazon package, and it said, Mrs. Russ, and it was underlined, and it said, can you please sign? And I said, absolutely. And I signed his book, and he looked at me. He's in grade two, so he's seven. And he said, this is going to be worth something. And I mean, I get paid to do a job I love every day. Um, It's such a gift. And I hope that this book will be a gift for years and years to come. Amazing. So tell me then, what is your plan? Do you have another book in the works? Are you thinking you'll continue off of this uh, and have more affirmations? I have a concept for a sequel as well as a prequel. So we'll only hope that more greatness is just around the corner. Incredible. All right, Jane, I want people to be able to find this book. I really do believe it's so important. Our kids have been through so much. Uh, Let's lift them all up. Tell me where people can buy the book, where they can find you, and keep uh, keep track of you for the prequel and the sequel. (laughs) Fabulous. Um, My book is currently on Amazon. Uh, it's available worldwide. I've had a few purchases in Amazon, uh, UK, uh, Australia, the United States, and tons here in Canada. Um, so go ahead and click on amazon.ca and add the great I am to your cart. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I have a YouTube channel. And that's all that I can think of. I keep looking for new ways to get my word out there. And I'm thinking, is there something I've missed? But my mind has been going a mile a minute since this book has um, been released. It's been just over a month. And I, I just can't wait to share it with everyone. And we should remind everybody that you are still uh, teaching as well as you're trying oh to goodness. promote this book. Yeah. So I you're sure a rock star. Am. Thank you kindly. That's what I tell my kids every single day. All right, Jane. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Candice. Take care. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. For our last interview today, Anne Brody had the recent pleasure of interviewing Colin Mokry, one of Canada's most beloved actors. Well, next to Ryan Reynolds, maybe. He is an absolute delight, and he joins Anne to discuss his new series on Amazon Prime called Last One Laughing. Dare you not to laugh. Tell me something. Is yes. lol now a word? Oh, 
I don't, I can't keep up with the kids. I mean, when I look at it, I think in my mind as I'm reading it, I go, lol. <laughs> but of course, yeah. if you do that, you know, immediately you're the object of scorn. Yeah, right. I know. This is why I'm saying it's official now. So maybe it's no longer scornful. Oh, so, I hope so. Let's get lol I mean, in the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> Your show is so remarkably unique. Comedians getting together in a room, trapped in a room for six hours on end, trying to force one another to laugh. And mm. the thing is not to laugh. And I got to tell you, it was excruciating. Everybody had their little tricks, how to get through it without laughing. Where everybody, Everybody's breathing changed. <laughs> Whether it was all of a sudden, it became like a Lamaze class. <laughs> As you say, excruciating. Yeah, literally you feel it. You absolutely feel it. Cause I guess we're just mimicking them at home these comics, these people whose lives are based on comedy and making people laugh, stripped of the ability to laugh. And I'm wondering, made me think, I can see you comedians getting together, you know, privately behind closed doors and doing this kind of challenge. Have you ever done it before? Uh, whenever comedians get together, it's basically everybody is trying to one up everybody. And it's usually horror stories on the road, how you got ripped off by certain managers. And it's my favorite thing to sit with a bunch of stand-ups and just listen to their stories. It's just the funniest. And they're, of course, so great at telling stories. Um, yeah, I love it. So that was an added thing of, that was my experience. When I'm with a bunch of comedians, we just laugh. Now we're trapped in a room and we can't laugh. It's uh, a whole different mindset. It's totally like against all wisdom. Yeah. And that's why it's so good because it's, it's such a, a raw new experience. I mean, it's really genius, isn't it? Uh, I watched all of the other incarnations from all the different countries and it's just fascinating. Well, I found it fascinating. Just the different comic sensibilities of every country. They all had their different attack. But every single one of them had someone who had some machine that would make fart sounds. Didn't matter if it was Australia, Japan, everybody had a fart thing. And <laughs> we have a fart thing too. I was so glad we didn't drop the ball there. Well, you know, it's what brings us all together. As exactly. a, as a globe. Universal. What do you think? I mean, you were really kind of naughty with people. And what was your proudest moment in that? What was my proud? Well, I, you know, I don't know if you can put proud <laughs> and this together I mean it was great being part of this great community but I was almost disappointed at how quickly I descended into some weird lord of the flies comedic thing where I don't care I'm just going to do anything and you'll just you hone in and you see oh okay, they're weak. I can see a, a sort of a smile and just going at it with no sense of decorum or going for some witty pithy remark it was just like just stop short of pulling down your pants and spanking yourself for five minutes i'm sorry to give you that visual it's true i can see you just worrying about your moral position in the world <laughs> oh yeah and you you it, it is an almost embarrassing thinking I should, what am I doing this for? I usually don't swear. I mean, very good in life and on stage also. That went out the window. I thought, no, <laughs> if I can get a laugh with swearing, I'm going for it. I felt so cheap. 
disappointed <laughs> in myself. <laughs> and you made us laugh. Well, that's the important that's thing. thing. <laughs> yes, that's the only thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and of course, you ha you can't tell me who, but you can share maybe a couple of details with some of these uh, high-ticket Canadians who appeared. I mean, when you watch the show, I think you can pretty much during the intro see, okay, I, I can see who's going first <laughs> because they're, they're barely holding it on as their names are being introduced. But it, <laughs> it gets um, intense. And it, uh, again, because, you know, we're all, uh, we all kind of knew each other, but not really. So there's that tension. And also whenever the horn goes off, you know, that wah, wah, you immediately feel guilty for, and you, and there were so many times where people weren't sure. Did, did you laugh? Was it me? Because I, I'm really at the point now. I have no idea what's going on. I may have smiled um, involuntarily because I, there were times I forgot the rules of the game because you get, you know, you get into a conversation with someone and you're just talking like you would with someone and you forget, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be making them laugh and I'm not supposed to laugh, oh my God. It's, it was just, it was like some sadistic psychological experiment yes. where uh, Jay Baruchel just enjoyed inflicting the psychological pain on all of us. Yeah. Thank you so much, Colin. And thank you for just being such a great Canadian, international, but great Canadian comic. Oh, thank you, Anne. That's lovely. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. 
4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.